Good morning, everybody. This is Encuentro. Today is um, Holy Wednesday. Let's begin with a prayer of St. Francis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, make me a means of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Divine Master, grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled, but to console. Not so much to be understood, but to understand. Not so much to be loved, but to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in forgiving that we are forgiven. And it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. The Gospel reading for today... uh, Holy Wednesday is taken from St. Matthew, chapter 26, verses 14 to 25. One of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that time on, he looked for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples approached Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time draws near. In your house, I shall celebrate the Passover with my disciples. The disciples then did as Jesus had ordered them and prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed at this, they began to say to him, one after another, Surely it is not I, Lord. He said in reply, He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him, for that man, if he had never been born. Then Judas, his betrayer, said in reply, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Holy Wednesday is uh, sometimes called Spy Wednesday. You know, spy, like S-P-Y, spy. And it's in reference to the sneakiness of of Judas. Um, we don't normally call that uh, call it that here in in the Philippines, but but it is a kind of a nickname that is sometimes given to <coughs> excuse me to this to this day of Holy Week, and uh, you know it also means ambush or, or snare, you know, and it's uh, in reference to uh, the other disciples. Judas was kind of a spy, you know, who was who was going to betray Jesus after he had sold him for thirty pieces of silver. So he was always looking for a chance to. To actually uh, to betray him, you know, uh, to hand him over. Uh, there's something to be said about Judas, you know, and, and I, I covered part of that yesterday um, with a, a more sympathetic reading of the scripture passage, if you will, you know. Uh, there's so much more to be said about about Judas, you know, the, the reasons why he uh, decided to betray his friend, you know. Uh, there's... Uh, you know, uh, the usual interpretation, okay? And there's also that, uh, uh, 
the kind of an, an unlikely, although it's also plausible, explanation given by some scholars that Judas wanted to force the hand of God, you know, believing that if he had handed Jesus over uh, and, you know, he was hurt, you know, the father would, would uh, send legions of his angels to, to finally smite the, the Romans and their enemies and finally reveal Jesus to be uh, his son. But then Judas miscalculated and, and you know, that's why he fell into despair. Um, um, but rather than focus on Judas today, you know, Spy Wednesday, I'd like to focus instead on a particular line in, in the gospel passage that we read that uh, although it's seemingly insignificant, you know, it actually tells us not only about Jesus uh, and his disposition, you know, throughout the unfolding of his, his passion, but also about the kind of relationship that uh, he has with his father. You know, a relationship that, uh, that uh, held steady and was even deepened, uh, if you could even uh, talk about a deepening of his relationship with the father, uh, all throughout um, his passion. Well, there's something fascinating about uh, the, the narrative of uh, the Passion in the Gospels. You know, Jesus, Jesus refers to God as his Father, and in the Garden, you know, he, he calls God Father. And um, on the cross, though, uh, we will hear that on, on, uh, uh, on Good Friday, you know, the seven last words. Um, when, when Jesus talks about being abandoned, doesn't call God Father anymore. It's just my God, you know, my God, my God. Why, why have you abandoned me? Um, but there is a uh, a line, like I said, you know, in this particular gospel passage, which 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 shows a uh, a relationship that with Jesus, uh, with with the Father, you know, that that is so deep, and uh, if you blink, you'll miss it, you know. Verse 19 is that line, you know, and um, it says, The disciples did as Jesus had ordered. The disciples did as Jesus had ordered. You know, while the the reading begins uh, with Judas, you know, agreeing to an amount in exchange for his betrayal of Jesus, and while even towards the end of the passage, it is Judas who seems to be the focus. That really isn't the case. Uh, as it's always Jesus who is in control, all throughout the the, the, the gospel reading, you know, Jesus is the one who's in control. You know, he tells the disciples what is needed for the celebration of the Passover. You know, uh, he let them know that he will be betrayed by one of them. To the actual identification of the betrayer, you know, Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart all along, and and all throughout. Uh, Again, this particular passage and all throughout the Passion, um, Jesus was in control. He was someone who knew what was going on. You know, this was not someone who, you know, uh, who got dragged into the whole situation by, by mere happenstance, you know, or, you know, uh, no. He wasn't someone who got caught up in all of the events of the Passion without much say. no. He remained firmly in control. And by that, we do not mean that he didn't surrender his life to the Father, no. Rather, we mean someone who, as he said in an earlier passage, lays down his life willingly. 
you know? No one forced him. But he did so out of love and obedience to the will of the Father. This was not somebody who was dragged into this whole thing kicking and screaming. You know? This was not somebody who, um, you know, who, who was forced into this situation by mere circumstance. No, no, no. Uh, he did this willingly, knowingly, consciously, you know, with full awareness and, and full control. In fact, it is, it is that submission to the Father's will, you know, that obedience, uh, paradoxically enough, that gives Jesus perfect control over his life and over the decision he made to offer that life as the Father had asked him. You know, let me repeat that. It is his submission to the Father's will, his obedience, that paradoxically gave him perfect control over his life. And over the decision he made to offer that life, you know, as the Father wanted him to. You know, sometimes we, we get this idea that submitting to God's will hmm, means denying, or worse, obliterating our own. And there are certain moments when, you know, it kind of feels like that. But you know what? Nothing can be farther from the truth. You know, the fact is, submitting to God's will, obeying God's will, living according to the plan that we've discerned God has for us. You know, that gives us the greatest freedom to do with our lives what we, in our heart of hearts, truly and so fervently desire. You know, um, <clears throat> Pope Benedict, in one of his encyclicals, says that sometimes we think that there is some kind of competition between God and man, between ourselves and God, and that the only way for us to be fully ourselves, he even mentions Nietzsche, uh, is to blot God out of the picture. It was, it was Deus Caritas Est, and he was talking about love, you know, in, in this particular context. And he even mentions, as I said, you know, my favorite philosopher, Nietzsche. I love Nietzsche because he, he rants about religion and about God, and how he seems to despise religion and God, but he can't stop talking about it, you know? And he's a man intoxicated with God and with religion. He can't run away from it no matter how hard he tries, and he tries. You know? But Nietzsche argues that really the only way for man to fully live is if he kills God, you know, gets him out of the picture. But as Pope Benedict says, as Pope John Paul II says, there's a great many spiritual you know, a Catholic, you know, Christian writers, you know, spiritual authors, you know, the giants of our faith, as they all tell us. The, the opposite is exactly the case. You know, St. Irenaeus of Lyon says the glory of God is, is man fully alive. You know, obeying the Father's will rather than kill or eclipse our will brings that will to life. Obeying the Father's will rather than killing our will gives it our desires, our visions, our hopes, and our dreams a power that they would otherwise not have. It strengthens our own will, our resolve, our commitment and dedication to living life to its fullest, no matter what life throws our way. 
you know, misfortune, illness, and whatever other difficulty or challenge, you know, we encounter, okay? It allows us also to, to, to take responsible risks, you know, because obedience to God's will kills one thing. And it isn't our will that it kills. Obedience, genuine obedience. I'm not talking about the obedience that does it because I got no other choice. No, no, no. I'm talking about the same kind of obedience, you know, we find in Jesus. I lay it down myself. That's what he says. Nobody forced me to do it. I do it because I want to do it. You know, that kind of obedience it doesn't kill our own will. The only thing that obedience to God's will kills is fear. Fear. And fear is not only the great, greatest enemy of faith, it's the greatest enemy of a life lived fully. You know? There's a line from uh, Scripture that I truly love, and I always tell the seminarians, you know, repeat this to yourselves, you know. I can do anything with Christ who strengthens me. You know, I can do anything with Christ who strengthens me. Those aren't just nice and encouraging words. They're real. And I've, I've seen and experienced the truth and power of those words in my life over and over again. Jesus knew he was going to suffer terribly. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to be abandoned by his friends. He knew that at some point during this entire ordeal, his strength would most likely flag and, and you know, he'd, he'd find himself, you know, crying out in pain. And yet in all this, in all this, there was something that wasn't there in Jesus, you know. And what was that? Fear. The man was fearless. Why? Because he knew all throughout this ordeal that the Father was always with him. Because as he said to his disciples before all of this began, he says, the Father and I are one. You know, the Jewish leaders um, may have misinterpreted that. And so they called it blasphemy, you know, Jesus claiming identification with the Father. And then he did. He did. When he says the Father and I are one, he was identifying himself with the Father and identifying the Father with him. But there was a deeper meaning to it, you know, a meaning that is important for us. It was faith. It was trust. It was an indestructible confidence that was rooted in the fact that his will was one with the Father's. And the Father's power, therefore, coursed through his own will. They really were one. To the world, that would seem incomprehensible. You know, to those who do not understand, it will seem like willfulness on Jesus' part. You know, the, the guy just wants to be in control. You know? 
again, like I said earlier, that, that is not what we mean by control. Paradoxically, it means submission to God's will. And it is that submission, it is that obedience that gives us you know, control over our life and puts us on the trajectory towards happiness, towards joy, towards fulfillment. It's not always easy to understand. You know, I once heard someone who was making a comment on a, a very strong-willed person. You know, he says, oh, that guy, he just does whatever he wants. You know, who can understand him? Nobody can understand him. He just does his own thing. And so he said, you know, yeah, well, and yet he seems to be very happy, doesn't he? And this person replied back to me and he says, yeah, but to what point? And so he asked, um, are you happy? He's happy. Are you? I didn't get a response. You know, there's an invincible happiness, a joy, you know, that no moth can eat, no rust can corrode, no thief can steal, and a joy that the world just won't understand. And it doesn't have to. Because that joy lies in seeking to do the will of the Father. But realizing that doing that doesn't destroy our own will. It doesn't obliterate it. It brings our will, our hopes, our wishes, our visions, our most fervent desires to, to fruition, to completion. <clears throat> the beginning of the Gospel of John, you know, the disciples of John were kind of following Jesus because they were fascinated by him, Jesus turns around and says to them, what do you want? What do you so eagerly, earnestly, wholeheartedly desire? Think about that, you know. What do you want? What is it that you desire most? You know, that will make you come alive. That will make your heart sing. That will give you that kind of happiness that that is a treasure that no, no one can steal and that nothing can destroy. Jesus had that. He was in control because the Father was in control and their wills were one. You know, there's a line from the prayer of St. Francis that I always pray, you know, when I begin the podcast and I, I love this line. And, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like something that I've tried to, uh, to live um, and, you know, make concrete in my own life. You know, it says, Grant that I may seek not so much to be understood, but to understand. Grant that I may understand, you know, even if I'm not understood. You know, behind that line... Behind that line, I do believe that when Francis prayed that, that line, that's why he's saying Francis was so much like Jesus, you know. Behind that line is a will that has become one with God's. And its fruit isn't just joy, but a kind of understanding that is so large, that's so full of, full of, filled, I'm sorry, filled with compassion and love that 
One can be happy and fulfilled and joyful even if the world doesn't understand. Because it doesn't have to. You know? We understand it. You know, the world. We love the world and care for the world. Even if it doesn't understand. Because it doesn't have to. Why? Because we understand. Because God understands. May our wills be one with the Father's. And may we recognize and realize that doing so, you know, uniting our will with the Father, just as Jesus did, does not obliterate our will, our hopes, our desires, our visions, and our dreams. Instead, it fulfills them. It completes them. It makes them whole. And it doesn't matter if nobody on this planet understands. Because God does. And we do. And when that happens, fear is dispelled. And we are able to live our lives the way God wants us to. And we become the man or the woman he desires us to be. Jesus laid down his life because he wanted to. Nobody forced him to do it. He did it willingly because his will and the Father's will had become one.